another week, another pod. What's going on, guys? You're listening to episode 42 of Hurdle, a podcast that talks to everyone from top CEOs and entrepreneurs to athletes about how they got through tough times, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. My name's Emily Abadi, and today I'm chatting with GT Dave. He's the founder of GT's Living Foods. Want to give a shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. Containing 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, the greens powder tastes delicious and gives me the boost I need to start every single day off. Right. They're offering a special deal to Hurdle listeners. It's 20 travel packs, a $99 value for free, absolutely free with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to claim it. No code necessary. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. I recorded this episode with GT Dave when I was in LA last month and listening back to it this week, I realized just how jam packed it is with info on everything from gut health to just finding your own path and trusting the process. In today's episode of Hurdle, GT tells me that in late 1994, his mom Lorraine was diagnosed with a highly aggressive form of breast cancer. When she healed, his mom shared with doctors that she had been drinking a very pungent homemade tea and that tea was GT's kombucha. Now, before we continue here, a little bit on what kombucha is. It's essentially a concoction of bacteria and tea and sugar, which when I say that sounds kind of questionable, but it dates back about 2000 years ago to ancient China when it was regularly consumed there as a treatment for inflammation. And it was at the time thought to ward off cancer. So Anyway, inspired by his mom's experience in his hurdle moment, it became GT's mission to make kombucha accessible for everyone everywhere. At just 15, he began bottling his brew in the kitchen of his parents' house, and then he really became one of the first people to mass market kombucha. Now, in my experience, kombucha can be very polarizing. You either love it or you hate it, and we talk about that in today's episode. But just to shed a little bit of light of how widespread kombucha drinking is, according to Inc., in 2015, consumers bought 600 million million dollars worth of kombucha and more than half of that was GTs and now you can buy it everywhere from Erwan Market in Venice California to the shelves of Walmart and Target I'm pretty sure the bodega downstairs where my apartment sells it it's absolutely everywhere and to hear about the beginning of such a massive brand in today's market in this episode it's uh it's really really interesting as always hit me up twitter instagram facebook at hurdle podcast if you're listening and you like what you hear make sure to share it on your instagram story i'll make sure to post it from the hurdle account also please pretty please head on into the itunes store rate and review hurdle highlighting this week a review from zach he says the podcast is incredibly helpful i'm on the road for work and anytime i feel uncentered especially on a travel day i pop in my headphones and just listen Emily's created a conversation combining mental health, wellness, and nutrition to help navigate through the twists and turns life has to offer. Thank you for this. Thank you for listening, Zach. Also, if you have a hurdle moment of your own or just want to say hi, feel free to shoot me an email. It's emily at hurdle.us. And I think that's it. I'll stop rambling now. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting here with GT Dave. He's the founder and CEO of GT's Living Food. I've got to be honest with you. One of the first things I did when I got to Los Angeles this week was go to Air One Market and buy a GT's kombucha. That's amazing. I love you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell me a little bit about your company? Because I know that people probably know you mostly for kombucha and we'll get into exactly what kombucha is and 
all the things, but tell me a little bit about JT's Living Food. Absolutely. Well, first of all, we started off as Millennium Products, which was the company that I started in 1995. Um, you just mentioned Air One. Air One was actually my first health food store that I ever sold into. They sold my first bottle. This is the Air One on Beverly Boulevard. And mm-hmm. it was really them that took a chance on me because at the time I was just 15 years old. I was making kombucha out of my parents' kitchen. I had started drinking it because my parents, who are two very holistic people, started to make it and drink it in the household for the last two years. And I was observing their affinity for it and how they started to notice changes in their body. That and my mother's kind of battle with breast cancer where the doctor suggested that kombucha helped keep her body strong. Those two things really inspired me. And so I started to not only drink it, but I started to make it and then subsequently started to bottle it and sell it at the local health food stores, Air One being the first. Okay, and that was in late 1994 when your mother had breast cancer. Correct. It was actually uh, 1993 when she was first diagnosed. So it was a two-year journey of drinking it. And then she was diagnosed um, a little bit before I had my kind of uh, revelation that kombucha needed to be shared with the world. Yeah. How did you start getting into that at home? We well, you know it's interesting. So my parents raised me vegetarian. So I was raised vegetarian literally in my mother's womb. Um, and then certainly afterwards, my parents remained me on a, a plant-based diet. So my parents were very progressive, right? They not only, you know, I was baptized Catholic as a kid. So I certainly had a religious background and went to Catholic school for eight years of my first eight years of my life. Um, but they were also very spiritual. And what that meant is they you know, made a conscious effort to to seek additional knowledge and insight of, you know, what does this world mean? What does our life mean? What's our purpose? All of that. So in doing so, they took me to India and I stayed there many times with them as a young child. The first trip was when I was three years old and stayed in an ashram. And the reason why that is important is that I believe it kind of slowly molded and shaped me into a kind of a unique person where I have a Western perspective, but certainly an Eastern philosophy. And that together, I think, culminates to become, you know, this high value of food and how it can be your medicine as well as your poison and how you're very sensitive to the things that not only you put inside yourself, but certainly what you surround yourself with. Right, right. And so kombucha kind of embodied all of that, right? It's this nature crafted, organic, living, breathing elixir, if you will, that to make it, you really have to pour your heart and soul into it. It's not something that's mass produced. It's not something that like you know, comes out of a lab. It's really something that's, as I said, crafted by nature. And its purpose is to restore balance. And I believe balance, not only in your body and your gut, but also balance in your life is essential to good health. Of course. Okay. So talk to me a little bit specifically, like break it down for someone who's never heard of kombucha before. What's kombucha? Yeah. To put it simply, kombucha is essentially a tea-based version of a yogurt or a kefir. What I mean by that is there's a a wonderful world of these fermented products, right? But unfortunately here in the U.S., we're really only familiar with yogurt, kefir, maybe like sauerkraut and kimchi, and that's pretty much it. But there's a variety of stuff. But the similarity of all these fermented foods is they all start with a base, and that base typically has some kind of nutrient and or carbohydrate source. So for milk, it's the sugars in the milk. For kefir, it's the sugars in the, the, the liquid base. For sauerkraut or kimchi, it's the sugars in the vegetables. All these are carbohydrates that these active cultures then start to feed on and create this fermented result. So for kombucha, it essentially starts off as an organic tea base 
that's sweetened with organic sugar, fruit juice, agave, honey, you name it. Mm -hmm. And the culture then feeds off of the carbohydrates of the, what we call fermenting agent and transforms the tea into this like tangy, effervescent, really crisp and bright um, result that when you ingest it helps balance your body's acid alkaline, helps detoxify the liver, replenishes good bacteria into your gut. So it really does act kind of like an adaptogenic, which means it treats the body holistically and helps the body heal itself. Okay. So you are making kombucha at home with your parents. Yes. And you grew up doing that. Yes. That's like not something that a lot of people can say. <laughs> Believe me, at the time, it didn't feel like such a cool thing because yeah. growing up vegan and vegetarian in like the 90s was, I mean, like, imagine just opening up your lunchbox and you're, you're pulling out like tofu and, you know, all these things and your friends are eating like all chicken sandwiches yeah, and drinking cartons of milk. And my parents wouldn't let me touch dairy. So there was a time probably for a good several years where I was embarrassed of how I was raised yeah. and I would stop eating in front of my friends. I would, you know, just say I'm not hungry when we would go out because I really did feel like the black sheep. It's kind of ironic that now being vegetarian, being plant-based is such a thing. It's such a thing. Yeah. And I love it yeah. because I think the world needs more of it. There's certainly a variety of reasons why being plant-based is good, but it's just kind of ironic that I wish I grew up today <laughs> versus <laughs> 20 years ago because it's a very different world. Yeah. I mean, just down the street in LA, I feel like you can walk by four different markets that exclusively sell plant-based things and it's normal. And everyone that's going in there, they're, they're not following a plant-based diet, but they're it's more readily accessible now. It's just everywhere you go. It's well, an it, option. It really is. Yeah. And the amount of options that you have today versus 20 years ago is night and day. Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up, the closest we could get to plant-based was a Chinese restaurant. Oh my God. Cause yeah, because then you could have like the Buddhist feast and, and the ramen noodles and the fried rice, which obviously is not healthy, but to us it was better than, you know, the, the alternative. Totally. So what kinds of things are staples in your diet, in addition, obviously, to the things that you guys make at your company? But I mean, for protein, for instance, like where are you getting your protein from if you're eating a plant-based diet? Well, first of all, I mean, I'm not the type of guy that focuses on my protein intake. I'm certainly not counting grams, right? Mm -hmm. So my philosophy with food is to first of all, always make sure that it resembles as much of its original source or uh, its original form, right? So that means whole fruits, whole nuts, whole vegetables. Um, I try to avoid anything that comes out of a box, a bag, or a can. Um, so that's, for, first of all, really, really important criteria. Now, as far as, far as protein is concerned, again, because I don't really count grams, I'm just making sure that everything I eat is balanced meaning I'm not eating too much starch or too much fats or even too much protein. I mean, you can certainly overdo it essentially or especially in a plant-based diet where you just default to like a lot of tofu, a lot yeah. of tempeh, all of that, which again, yes, that's plant-based, but now you have a different problem on your hands because you have a lot of soy. Right. So, I mean, I, I try to be creative with what I consume. Um, I do do like an oatmeal that um, instead of using like milk or water, I'll use actually or the vegan version of Orgain, which is again, a plant-based um, protein shake that resembles a lot like milk in its flavor and texture. So I'll use that in my oatmeal. So I'm getting now my carbohydrates and fiber from the oatmeal, but I'm also getting protein. Got it, okay. I, I love smoothies. So I'll yeah. do like, um, you know, pea protein or hemp protein and stuff like that. And then 
whole grains, whole legumes, um, nuts, those are also great sources of protein. Got it. Okay. So let's rewind back again. You're making kombucha at home with your parents. You're eating uh, plant-based and vegetarian and vegan as well. Yes. And I can only imagine how difficult it's got to be to see someone that you care about so much struggling like your mother was struggling. How was that like for you? Well, my mother's situation was really interesting because she had been drinking kombucha for two years, looked great, felt great, everything was great, right? Um, it wasn't until she thought she was pregnant that she went to go see the doctors. And so she saw the doctor and he was like, well, you're not pregnant. However, there is something growing inside you. Mm. And they said, it's a very large tumor. We believe it's cancerous. It's in your right breast and it's about the size of a golf ball. Oh, wow. And so that was the first time where things took a turn for the worse. Now, that's why my call it my calling to make kombucha felt so strong is that, you know, again, up to that point, my parents were drinking kombucha somewhat recreationally. They did believe it was healthy for him, but for them, but they didn't really understand how extensively mm -hmm. it wasn't until two weeks after my mother's initial diagnosis that the doctors themselves brought my mom in and, and essentially inquired on what she was doing different in her diet because although she did have breast cancer, the tumor that they eventually diagnosed was primarily precancerous and hadn't spread to her lymph nodes. So that was really impressive to them, especially because they believe that she had already had the cancer for about four years. Wow. Yeah. So that was that moment that was like, all right, something, something's up. Yeah. Right? And that's when kombucha kind of came to the forefront of, is this uniquely tasting and smelling tea playing a positive role in keeping mom healthy. Right. So to be honest, for my mother's, so the initial diagnosis was very gloom and doom, as I said, because they thought the cancer was very large. They thought she had it for a very large, long time. They were convinced it had spread to her um, bone marrow, blah, blah, blah. blah but blah, then blah. two weeks later, they found out that wasn't the case. So that's when things actually got better. So my mom's battle wasn't as grim as most people are. To be honest, what changed me was ironically about a year and a half after my mother's success of beating breast cancer was when my brother, who was only 22 years old, was also diagnosed with cancer. So that's the weird part because again, with my mom, you're in my mind, you're seeing both sides of the spectrum, right? Because my mom was this cancer um, patient that you know had a bad story and then it turned positive and the outcome was wonderful. She overcame it, she was healthy, she was fit lessons learned on how to process stress yeah. and all of that. My brother, on the other hand, was diagnosed and it was only bad from there. And yeah. the reason why this is important is my brother was in the household that I was now making my kombucha. So he was, we were a big family, right? There was three boys, my mother and my father, and we all lived there. And so I was making the kombucha in the household where everybody lived. And shortly after I started making it, my brother was then diagnosed but he didn't survive. He died six months later. So from the time of his diagnosis to the final day that he passed, I was able to firsthand witness his death process while I'm making kombucha because yeah. it was all happening in the same household. So you have, imagine this, you have this beautiful experience of this young kid, because I was only about 16 years old, maybe 17 at the time, giving birth to this beautiful idea that he felt helped his mom, could help others, and was really, really excited by it. But 20 feet on the other side of the house, you have someone who's similar in age, 22, mm -hmm. who has is actually having the life pulled out of him. And 
just really just wants to live and survive. And you know, to see that that juxtaposition of those two things was really um, ingrained in me. Like it, it left a very strong imprint on me then and, and remains now of just like understanding the meaning of life, as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah. And, and making sure every day we live, we live to the fullest. So it certainly inspired me again to continue to do something with kombucha because it very much felt like my purpose. That must have been really tough to lose your brother. It was. And as odd as it sounds, it was kind of a, a blessing and a curse, right? So the curse is obviously losing a loved one of any kind is very, very hard. Right. But the reason why I like to also interpret it as a blessing is that I think, you know, the greatest challenge I think a lot of people face is that they don't understand their mortality. And what I mean by that is, especially when you're young, and I'll define young as even 40 and younger or 30 and younger. It doesn't have to be like five or 10 years old. Right, right. But basically, in my mind, I notice a lot of people feel that they don't, you know, need to be urgent with the things that they do. They don't have to have a sense of urgency. They feel the time is on their side. They want to live life. You know, you hear those sayings like you only live once, live it up, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I certainly used to hear that a lot when I was a kid. But when you see somebody your own age die and die so quickly and so unexpectedly, it completely changes your point of view. Like you literally see every minute, every hour and certainly every day as a gift. Was it frustrating for you to know that kombucha, as according to the doctors, probably played a really good uh, role in your mother's success and then not being able to help your brother in the same way? Yeah, I actually found it ironic, but yet insightful at the same time. Right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is there's no one thing in this world that you can do and it will be your saving grace. You know, whether it's kombucha or something else that is healthy, it has to be part of an overall healthy diet. So to be honest, my brother didn't drink kombucha. And in fact, he did the, like my mom was athletic, plant-based, all of that. My brother actually kind of fell off the vegetarian wagon early on. So he was eating meat. Yeah. And he was, I mean, I remember to this day, he consumed a heavy, heavy diet of like microwaved frozen food. Yeah. And the reason why that that kind of stands out in my mind is I remember I'd be making kombucha and I'd have my batches lined up in the kitchen, getting ready to kind of put them to bed. And my What's that mean? Well, that means you're going to start the fermentation. So you've you've made your base tea, you put your culture in it, you're covering it, which is kind of like tucking it in. Yeah. And then you put it in a nice, quiet, warm spot for, I ferment ferment mine for 30 days, but some people will do it for like 10 or 14. Got it. So anyway, so I was getting ready to do that. And then my brother would come in and start microwaving his food. And what I would notice is all my cultures that were floating nice and happily at the top of the tea all sank. Interesting. And what it is, is I believe the radiation, right? Mm -hmm. Radiation in the microwave not only radiates, you know, several feet around the actual microwave, but also it radiates your food. So I believe that my brother, one of the many things that I think he had an issue was, is a a high diet and radiated food. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, he didn't drink kombucha. He was eating meat. He was kind of on a somewhat self-destructive path. And honestly, I think that's why the universe gave him cancer is it really was a wake up call. Yeah. Um, Not to bore you with the details, but I think the happy ending to my brother's passing is those six months of his life where he was stripped of everything that at the time he felt was important, money, girls, cars, parties. Instead, he was, you know, stripped of all that and just became a very humble, grateful soul. Mm -hmm. And as silly as it sounds, I think he burned through a lot of karma. And perhaps, you know, depending on what you believe in, let's just say I believe his after the afterlife for him is going to be more good than bad. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting 
like a perspective to have on all of it. When does this shift from just something you were doing at home to something that you thought you should start sharing with more and more people? You know, what's funny is when I started to drink kombucha is when I first noticed that it needed to be shared. Yeah. More people need to have it in their lives. At the same time, I was noticing that the way kombucha at the time was getting shared was, hey, here's a culture, here's the recipe, good luck. Yeah. Right? That was basically it. Where does one even get a culture? You typically get it from a friend. Okay. It's almost like this, and that's that's the beauty of kombucha, and that's why it's been held so sacred for so long, is it was never this thing of commerce or commercial trade. It was really like, hey, this is my little pet that just had a baby and I'm going to give you a baby and I'm going to tell you how to take care of the baby. So then you will have your own family. Right. <laughs> and so it, can, it, I mean, essentially gets passed from household to household, generation, to generation, friend to friend, lover to lover, fill in the blank. Um, so that's how you learn about kombucha. And so, you know, my parents certainly virtually immediately fell in love with kombucha and started to talk to everybody about how it made them feel and all of that. And they would give away cultures. And so I would notice this. And this is even before I started drinking kombucha. Right. What I also noticed is that nine out of 10 times, people would come back and be like, ooh, yeah, um, my batch didn't come out good. And my like baby, my mother culture didn't have a baby culture or my batch got moldy or it turned, it tasted weird or whatever. And so to me, that was an early cue that these relatively sophisticated people didn't understand fermentation. Interesting. And that's when I then I was compelled to put it in a ready-to-drink form so people could bypass the make-it-yourself step and just enjoy it and be healthy. Let's talk a little bit about uh, it being a live beverage because I think that people get really confused by that. Yeah. So when someone picked, like, what does that mean? Tell, tell me what that means. Absolutely. So, you know, and that's a great question and thank you for asking it. So first of all, when I started making kombucha, kombucha was very much like a raw apple cider vinegar. You know, it was supposed it's supposed to have a very bright and bold flavor. Whether you call it tangy, whether you call it sour, whether you, whether you call it vinegary, fill in the blank. But it's supposed to have that bright flavor because that's actually an indication of the fermentation and the organic acids, which is one of the many things that makes it so healthy. In addition, it's supposed to have these visible cultures, a lot like the mother culture in raw apple cider vinegar. And last but not least, it has a naturally occurring effervescence, which means sometimes you can have a bottle that's flat, sometimes you can have a bottle that's lightly fizzy or or mildly fizzy, and then something that's very, very fizzy. And that's honestly the beauty of kombucha. Now, cut to today, what you're seeing, unfortunately, is what we call the bastardization of kombucha. And what's happening is companies are taking essentially a vinegar that they've likely pasteurized, and they throw it in a water base with maybe a tea flavor or some juice, and then they artificially carbonate it, throw in some probiotics, and slap on a label and call it kombucha. And that's a problem because for people who truly are seeking authentic kombucha and certainly deserve authentic kombucha, more often than not, aren't getting it. Right. And so that's really my mission. Is you know I've said before that I spent the last 20 years of my career kind of uh, – discovering kombucha and sharing it with others. And the next 20 years is going to be kind of protecting it. Got it. So you know that you want to share this with people. Yes. When does that, I want to share this with people, turn into, I'm going to start bottling this to sell it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, honestly, it was a very simple, call it a uh, uh, discussion yeah. that happened. So I would say shortly after my mother got the good news that from her doctors that kombucha potentially helped her, didn't cure her, but helped her throughout her battle with breast cancer. 
Um, I noticed my friends and family members also fell in love with kombucha. And then I subsequently fell in love with kombucha. So that kind of trio of events is what then forced me essentially to go to my parents and said, mom, dad, kombucha is very special. You guys need to do something with it. And that's when my parents turned that idea back on me and said, son, that's a big deal. We don't have the time. Why don't you do it? Yeah. And honestly, they were half serious. Yeah. But I took it as full serious. And I was at a very unique point in my life. I was just 15 years old. I dropped out of Beverly Hills High School. There's a whole story there that I won't bore you with. But long story short, I was just in a very unique position to take on risk, but without it feeling like risk Uh and, and leading with my heart and pursuing it. And so literally that next day, I started making it and I started bottling it. And I approached Air One, the local health food store. And that was it. There was no like, I'm going to map out a business plan. You know, here's my three to five year goals or whatever. It was just like, I love this. I can make it. I'm going to bottle it and see who else loves it. Okay. So then talk to me about when the other things kind of come into play that are obviously so important to bottling and distributing something like this. I mean, you obviously needed to think about labeling, about how it looked on the shelf, about eventually, I mean, getting to a size that it would be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to take into consideration here. It's true. And you know what, I, it, in retrospect, um, I think what I was doing was somewhat kind of naive and foolish, but having said that it also protected me because what happened was, is I was too young to be preoccupied with the, the call it the pressure of the stress of like, my label has to be like the best ever, or my yeah. marketing has to be the best ever. I didn't really even understand those terms. So where I was coming from is, this kombucha helped my mom. I love it. I want to just essentially bottle that experience and put it in the hands of others. And then what will be, will be. And that's exactly what I did. And in addition to that, I, I grew my eventual business and continue to very delicately, thoughtfully, and certainly very organically. Yeah. I mean, now you have more than, is it 30 flavors? Yeah. More than 30 flavors. More than 30 flavors. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> and, and believe me, when I first started, I mean, there was a good three years where I had like two flavors. Yeah. What and were I, they? What were they? It was uh, original and lemonade. Okay. And then gingerade was my third. And today it's our bestseller. And it was that moment of like where you feel like you just kind of strike gold. Yeah. Where you have the perfect balance of, you know, the health benefits of kombucha and the also the health benefits of ginger. Yeah. And when you marry those two, you had this like magical experience. And that was case in point of if you put a lot of thought into how you call it curate a beverage or curate even any kind of offering, it really excites people and then they they flip for it. Yeah, totally. So you mentioned the health benefits of kombucha. Yes. Let's talk about those. Absolutely. So the beauty of kombucha, as I said earlier, is it's, it's, it's very similar to an adaptogenic. And what that means is unlike a drug or something like that, where they say, hey, take this, you'll feel that. Kombucha is more like, hey, take this, and through it working with your body to detoxify and restore balance, you'll notice overall improvement in your well-being. And that can translate into more energy, better sleeping, clearer skin, clearer eyes, brighter hair, you know, stronger nails, certainly a better digestion. That's what a lot of people say. I think in this world, that's probably the most important right now because our bodies are so bombarded with antibiotics and pesticides and Mm. just call it stress that everything starts in the gut. 
And if you don't have a good digestive system or, you know, microbiome, you could be in trouble. So kombucha really focuses on that. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is, and this is kind of the, the romantic story that we like to tell is that in a way, kombucha kind of changes the way you see food, right? We joke, half joking and say it kind of opens up your third eye. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you consume kombucha initially, for most people, it tastes very vinegary and it tastes very kind of harsh. But if you can stick with it and even just get through your first bottle, you notice that the next time you reach for it, it tastes sweeter. And the next time that you go reach for a soda or something really processed, that actually tastes gross. Yeah. So what we mean by that is it kind of remakes your palate and it opens up the dialogue between you and your body. And you start to hear your body say, hey, I don't want that. Hey, that doesn't make me feel good. So what we notice more often than not with people who start drinking kombucha, and of course, specifically ours, is that they say, hey, this has changed my life. Like I'm eating different, I'm drinking different, I'm living differently. Yeah. And it's it's as silly as it sounds, kind of like an awakening. Like I'm sure when people that were either close to you, close to you or or fans of GTs, when they picked up their first bottle, they didn't instantly feel like a completely different human. Of course. No, yeah. some people had to run to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people, you know, um, they spit it out. I mean, not every first experience with kombucha is a positive one. However, every experience with kombucha at least is a memorable one. And, <laughs> and that means that, like, you really can tell it's something different. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I think a lot of people, that's one of the reasons why they resonate with it. But to your point, absolutely. I mean, when I started making kombucha, I became enamored with this wonderful world of not only fermented foods, but also these raw living plant-based foods. Right. So call it from year one to year probably four and even five, I was on this intense, intense health diet. And I was raw, I was vegan, I was all this stuff. And I was amazed with how deep you can go in health and wellness. But of course, certain extreme behaviors aren't good. I mean, I noticed when I was raw and vegan, it was great for the summer because it's warm and my body loved like the cool, fresh vegetables and the cool, fresh fruit. But as soon as winter came, like I got cold yeah. and I, my body was craving warm food, things that were baked, things that were, you know, sauteed, whatever. Um, and so the point that I'm saying is, is that I don't think there's any singular approach to any one thing. Like what works for you may not work for me. And that's in many ways what I think kombucha is so special is it kind of tells you to, hey, listen, listen to your body. Even when you drink kombucha, like if I drink a bottle, you may only have to drink four or eight ounces and get the same result. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you mentioned eating raw. That has, that, I tried that once. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that go? It was hard. It's hard. It is. It's, you don't, I feel like uh, you were very, I was very, I did not know how many things I was consuming that were not raw right. until I tried to eat only raw. I sat down with this guy who has a big name uh, with raw foods, Fred Bishy. Uh -huh. He's based in Staten Island. And all of the things he was telling me that I should eat, like I tried to eat them and I wasn't into it and I was wrapping things and collard greens and it just wasn't my jam. And yeah, it was a lot. No, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I, what, mean, I feel like you've tried a lot of stuff though. What would you say has been kind of one of the wacky? I actually, I asked Hayden Slater this. Uh -huh. I asked him what was one of the craziest health trends he's tried or like health anything he's tried in the last few years. I'm not going to tell you his answer until you tell me what your answer okay. is. So well, what's your answer? I'm curious to hear his. Uh, <laughs> so mine is, I mean, honestly, my parents raised me on stay away from anything that's a fad, right? So I actually never got on the Atkins or ketosis bandwagon. Um, 
I'd never really subscribed to a fully extreme diet. Um, however, I think perhaps what's the exception to that statement is, and you and I actually talked about this previously, is there was a time where I was like counting calories. Yeah. Like at, like a stick of gum, I would count the calories. Oh. And I think what happened was, is, and this is what I'm saying about extreme behavior, is it all started off with like fully obsessing about what I put in my body and then over to the point where I was overthinking it, where every single thing that went in my mouth had needed to have a purpose and that for some reason translated into like calorie counting yeah and so what happened was i noticed that i became so obsessed with calorie intake that i started to consciously or unconsciously reduce my calorie intake and so i started using a lot of artificial sweeteners mm. a lot of diet soda and diet drinks and yeah. things of that nature and i thought i was being healthy because to be honest sometimes i was mixing it with health food like i was making like a, a pumpkin souffle that I read pumpkins are very rich in beta carotene, um, but I wanted to emulate like a pumpkin pie, but I didn't want the sugar. So I used like a ton of sucralose or aspartame. And I thought, hey, as long as I'm eating more of the pumpkin, it should not only wash itself out, but it should still be healthy. No, I noticed within a short period of time, like my body completely changed. Like I would wake up in the morning, in the middle of the night with like a severe food craving, a sugar craving. I would binge eat. It was, it was like, honestly, there was, like a fat boy inside me now yeah. that was trying to get out when previously I had never felt that before. Right, right. And what that was an interesting reminder was is that I just needed to, to pay more attention to kombucha and allow it to do to me what it used to do and not be so obsessed with this other stuff. So kombucha helped kind of put that in balance right, and help fix those cravings. And now I'm pleased to say like I never have felt that way again. Okay, so Hayden's answer is a lot more obscure than yours. <laughs> Hayden tried leech therapy. I'm talking like trends. Oh, okay. Because you live in Beverly Hills. Right. People do weird things here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I haven't, you know, it's so funny. I think because of my work schedule, I haven't, like, my, I have friends that do cupping. Yeah. Yeah. I, know I don't know if that's PG. Like, Yeah, that's pretty PG. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have friends that do, like, the PRP stuff where they have their blood pulled out. And it's like spawn and then like the plasma, which is almost like your stem cell yeah. is created. And then they like rub that on your face or they inject it in you. Rub it on your face. All that stuff. Um, oh my God. I mean, I listen, I grew up in Bel Air, Beverly Hills. I've yeah. pretty much seen it all. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people put, you know, placenta from other babies uh, into their veins. Uh, um, uh, I mean, I've seen all of that. I just haven't done it. Yeah, no, it's I mean, fine. to be honest, because like I'm a big believer in prevention. Yeah. Prevention with things that nature is kind of offering, you know, injecting someone's placenta. You could you could argue that that's natural, but it's not natural to you. Oh, it feels so weird. Yeah. So it feels so weird. I just like to drink it's, a lot of water, exercise and eat really clean food. That's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I sat down with Colleen Quigley. She's a, a steeplechaser. When she had a bad hamstring injury, she was telling me about how they spun her blood and then would put it back into her leg. And I was like, wow, that's how you know you're an elite level athlete. If someone's going to just spin your blood and put it back in your body to make you better even faster. Yeah. It's crazy. No, it is crazy. How does it feel to be known as the king of kombucha? I mean, it feels great. It's it's a heavy crown to wear. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I think because health and wellness has become such a, a, tra a trend and a fad lately, that I think everybody consciously or unconsciously sees all these products as somewhat new, right? And, you know, I have people that, you know, have been drinking kombucha that have only known about it for a couple of years. And what that creates, though, is, you know, I've been doing this for over 23 years. And, you know, when, when I 
created my product and when I put it on the shelves, the, the landscape of the marketplace was very different. Yeah. You know, at the time, what was considered cutting edge was tofu. Yeah. What was considered a health beverage was sobe and vitamin water. So the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, I've been given the title category creator, king of kombucha, all of that, which honestly I don't take for granted. And I'm honored to, to get anything like that type of title. Um, so I, I like to be more of a humble guy. But I think right now in this day and age, especially with millennials, anything that's considered big or old, they kind of resist. And they like the new sparkly things. And so at times we're rather pigeonholed as you know, the monopoly of kombucha, the Goliath of kombucha, and then therefore people just default to the smaller brands just because they're kind of anti-big company. Mm -hmm. Or people don't really understand our history. Right. Right. They think most people, as I said, have only heard kombucha at the longest for five years. They don't understand for us, there's 19 more years before that. Right. And there, there was a day and age where there wasn't a Whole Foods. You know, when I started in 1995, Whole Foods didn't exist. You know, there was a time where, you know, right now you can buy kombucha in 7-Eleven. You can buy it at Costco. As you just said, you can buy it in Trader Joe's. There was a, a time where I was trying to get in those stores and they slammed the door on my face. And not only did they do that, but they also said, hey, what you're making is disgusting. Right. And what you're making will get people sick because it's fermented. And fermentation is synonymous with rot and spoilage. And so, you know, at the time, I only really had two options, give up or just put my head down and continue to pave this, call it slow and steady path. Today, products that have kombucha on the label get in the store just because of that. So it's right. a very different world. Right. So I can't say that I love that because I think working hard and paying your dues creates character. I think a lot of the products, this isn't even just in the kombucha space, I think a lot of the products in the marketplace right now really lack that integrity. Because they're all just kind of me too's. They're jumping on the bandwagon. They're putting, you know, vegan, plant-based, gluten-free, kombucha, whatever on the label. And it just, they have success because that's the world we're living in right now. Right. But I think it, it also brings in kind of bad players, right? People who come in just to sell their company. I mean, there's a lot of kombuchas in my space, unfortunately, that have Pepsi money, Coke money, Nestle money, Pete's coffee and tea money. And not that that's a bad thing, but it's slowly changing the industry. Yeah. We're proud to say we're independent, we're still family owned, we don't have any big food money in our pockets. And we plan on not changing that. Right. We just hope that by others engaging in that behavior that it doesn't change the category for the worse. Quick break from today's episode to give my sponsor, Athletic Greens, a little bit of love. Speaking of love, it is Valentine's Day week, and if there's one person that you should be giving back to 365 days a year, it's yourself. And I feel like I get to do that every single morning when I walk into my kitchen, put some Athletic Greens in a bottle, mix it up with water, and uh, take a swig. And that's because not only does Athletic Greens have 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, but it's got everything I need to feel like a better me. It's got adaptogens, prebiotics, probiotics, superfoods, the whole thing. They're offering her listeners a special deal. It's 20 travel packs absolutely free with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to claim it. No code necessary. Again, give yourself a little bit of love. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Let's get back to it.
I'm back here sitting with GT Dave. He's the founder and CEO of GT's Living Food. When does your company really start to upswing? Take off. Yeah, I mean, take off. I mean, when did you when did you move outside of your parents' kitchen? <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, almost every two to three years was a big growth spurt. And so certainly when I first started making kombucha, I was in my parents' kitchen for about two years. To be honest, what was the genesis or the impetus of me moving out was my parents were splitting up. And that was after the death of my brother that definitely shook up their marriage and certainly the household. Yeah. So it was their breakup, if you will, that forced me and my business out of the house. So that's when I got my first commercial facility in Gardena, California. Mm -hmm. I was in that facility for, gosh, probably about five years, maybe even six. And every two or three years, I'd have to take over the unit next door. So just to back up, when I first moved into my first commercial facility, it was an industrial complex. So it was a lot of these like little units back to back to back. Yeah. And I occupied one. And then two to three years later, I needed to cut a hole in the wall and occupy the second. Yeah. And then the third and then the fourth. And so I was growing rapidly again, almost every two to three years. It wasn't until 2005. So a good 10 years later after I started where we went nationwide. I moved into a giant facility, which at the time felt giant. And that's when like people were really getting it. That's when people were traveling from California to New York and going crazy for trying to get kombucha in Manhattan. And that was, again, the impetus for me becoming nationwide. Right. Okay. So, so that was a huge moment. Ironically, then it took another 10 years to for kombucha, in my opinion, to hit critical acclaim and, and mass appeal. And that's right. 2015 is when you started to see the adoption of kombucha in more mainstream markets. The Kroger's, which owns Ralph's here in Los Angeles, the Safeways, the Costco's, the Trader Joe's, and ironically, the Targets and the Walmarts. I mean, yeah. when I first started, first of all, I've only been in a Walmart like twice in my life. So they it, have Walmart here. Uh, somewhere here. I mean, somewhere? not like in Beverly Hills where we yeah. are right now. Beverly Hills, Walmart. No, not currently. <laughs> but um, so that's the thing. So it never, in my wildest dreams, did I ever think that my product would be sold in a Walmart. Yeah. Because I always saw Walmart as an area that more for the Cokes and the Pepsis of the world. Right. But the fact that my kombucha is sold in a Walmart is a case in point that the world, as we know it, is changing. Yeah. It has changed for the better in many ways. So, so that's very exciting. And again, 2015 is when I think from 2005 to 2015, kombucha became a household name in the natural world. Right. From 2015 to now, it's slowly becoming a household name in everyone's world. Right, right. They're still far from like it being synonymous, like coconut water or things of that nature where everybody's drinking it because kombucha has more of a polarizing effect. Yeah. But each day, I think more and more people are understanding it and seeking it out. Where's the money coming from? Like when you're starting out and you're knocking down walls and you're slowly taking over and over and over, like where are you, are you selling enough? Are you making a profit? Yeah. So I would say where the money comes from is blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, for the first five years, I didn't pay myself. Right. So I was fortunate to start my company so young that, you know, I had th something called mom and dad that, uh, you know, and I think the law that they had to take care of me at least until I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> so I had that relief. And, um, you know, even afterwards, like again, year four, year five, it was just being very, very frugal. And, you know, there's times, and I think this is common in most startups is that they, everybody has a definition of like, I made it. And sometimes I made it. It's just, I had a $10,000 order. 
And what I've noticed and did experience when I was much younger is you sometimes have that success and you want to like celebrate. But I recognize luckily early enough that, hey, like just because you got that big win, tuck it away and keep going. Like don't celebrate it. Don't spend it. Don't think that all of a sudden you're king of the world. Because that's where I think a lot of business owners make mistakes. And totally. So, to answer your question, I just saved a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about like your first hire? <laughs> My first hire felt more like a date than an interview. I mean, I was like, so what's your sign? You know, like, what do you do for fun? What's your diet like? Do you yeah. Have, you know, kids or what are your parents like? Because, you know, I was really raised to be very, very thoughtful and very intimate. And yeah. like, when you connect with somebody, like genuinely connect with them, like understand what makes them tick. And again, and this is primarily because of my mother, my mom is very big into astrology and she sees that as at times people's kind of blueprint yeah. of their soul. And so to answer your question, so when that first candidate came into the door, I mean, I sat down with him and it was like we were getting married. I mean, I was just like, Tell me everything about yourself, your host dreams, your wishes, your what, fears. What, what position were you hiring for? Talking about? <laughs> it was a brewer. So okay. he was just going to come in and brew the tea. Um, add the culture to the small batch and then just let it ferment and then he would help me bottle it afterwards got it the bottling i did primarily because in my mind that was where it's the culmination of everything the raw kombucha with the raw juice yeah and the recipes kind of somewhere there but yeah so he helped me do that and it was great and employee number two three four and beyond all become that way where it's really you're trying to create this family. Right, right. Okay. So the other thing about kombucha, I would say, is that it is pretty polarizing. I definitely follow the path that you mentioned earlier, which was you drink it at first and you're like, uh, and then you drink it again, and you're like, mm, and then you drink it the third time, you're like, I'm going to go get some of this next week. Like right. you're into it. Yeah. But some people never get to like the yeah. step four. <laughs> What is your sticking point for the person that's like, oh, kombucha is not really my thing? Like, what's the first thing you tell a kombucha skeptic? Well, I tell them, listen, give it a chance. Because first of all, just stop and think. Things that we consider normal, if you take a step back, it perhaps isn't that normal and would be just as repulsive. So right. like the example I always give, because some people are like, oh, I can't drink kombucha because that thing that's floating in it is so disgusting. And then I say, do you eat meat? And then I say, uh, you know, did you ever stop and think that there's times where you're just eating into the carcass of another living thing? And I said, that to me. That is so <laughs> gross. And so that's what I say. Like, I think everything is perspective. And you have to say, like, do you think drinking the breast milk of a cow is normal? And yeah. so then you just have to kind of give people perspective. And yeah. so that's how I overcome the it's weird yeah. hurdle. The, the flavor aspect, I just say, hey, listen, if you, first of all, we have other flavors that are more, call it palatable, like our mango and our guava. We guava use, is great. Yes. So I'm a sucker for the guava. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we try to steer people in that direction. Yeah. Um, if we can. But if not, let's just say they have plain kombucha or there's more polarizing flavors at their fingertips. You just say, hey, just start with two ounces. Hold your nose, start with two ounces and start it every day. And just listen. Like notice that if maybe your stomach gets a little bit better, your headaches get a little bit better or whatever. And nine out of 10 times, if not 10 out of 10 times, people go from two ounces to four ounces to eight ounces to a bottle to maybe a bottle or more yeah. a day. And that's honestly what happened to me when I first started drinking kombucha. I did not love it. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I did have to pinch my nose and drink it, but then my stomach ache would go away or 
not to get graphic, my regularity would get better. Yeah. All these things that we don't really talk about. Right. Um, but we do personally notice and personally value start to improve. And I think that's really the selling pitch. How much are you drinking now? Well, I would recommend that people follow my intake because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a professional kombucha consumer. <laughs> and what that means is I drink about a gallon to a gallon and a half a day. Wow. So I put that in bottles. That's like eight to 12 16 ounce bottles a day. How and much water do you drink every day? Luckily, I drink a lot of water. So I drink probably a how gallon. Are you and like, a half. How is your whole day not spent in, in the, the bathroom? bathroom? Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, it is. <laughs> like every. If, if I, when I have meetings at work, if a meeting runs longer than an hour, like I grow horns and a tail, like I become so demonic because I have to go to the bathroom so badly. <laughs> so good thing we're winding down yes. here. <laughs> so uh, point making is wrapping up. <laughs> wow. A gallon and a half. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a gallon and a half of kombucha and a gallon and a half of water. Do you mix up the flavor situation? Do you drink one flavor? Well, I actually drink them all. So just to give you a little sneak peek into my daily life at work is that, you know, I come in and I, my first thing I do is I taste all the raw batches. So these are the batches that just got harvested, just had the culture removed. They're essentially this effervescent uh, tangy tea. And I taste that. And a lot. It, it, the way I compare it is a lot like a two. Um, in a winery, how you're tasting the different harvests of the wines, because each and every one has a different personality. Right, right. And then from there, we create a blend. So we every batch is different. Even though they may come from the same master batch, but every small vessel has a different personality. Very much like you could have an orange tree, and the oranges at the top of the tree taste different than the oranges at the bottom of the tree. Right. Still the same tree, though. Exactly. So from there, we... So I taste that, and then when we start adding the fresh-pressed juices and all of that, I taste them right after they've been bottled to make sure that they're crisp, they're bright, they're balanced, all of that. Mm -hmm. So do the math. You know, we have over 30 flavors. We run many, many batches a day. So I'm, I'm taste-tasting throughout the day. And the great news, and this is kind of my testament to when people say, hey, can you drink too much? Like, I've been drinking this much for decades. Right. And it's never turned on me. It's never made me feel sick. And if anything... It's one of the reasons why I'm able to work so hard because it really does power me through my day. Yeah. Now I recommend, you know, I don't recommend that people drink that much. I always tell people, hey, keep it, cap it at three bottles a day. Yeah. Because you're drinking more than three. Like you should probably be looking into other things, maybe more water. Yeah. Or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, kombucha is a pretty miraculous thing. Yeah. And as we, as we start to wind down here, I do want to just touch on quickly. We talked a little bit about gut health before, and yes. I think that's something that a lot of people don't really understand or know much about what has being involved in this industry and this specific product and all of these live cultures what has it taught you about the importance of gut health well several things it's taught me that you know again the secret to a healthy gut is minimizing the processing that goes into your food and the reason why fermented foods are so healthy on the gut is not just because they contain probiotics which assist in replenishing the gut health and the microbiome, but also fermented foods are considered pre-digested. And what that means is like, for instance, a bowl of sauerkraut, which is essentially fermented vegetables, is easier to digest than a bowl of those exact same vegetables before they were fermented. Right. And the reason is, is the enzymes in fermentation break down things that sometimes can be hard on our bodies and sometimes impair our ability to absorb certain nutrients. So fermentation is almost like a, a pre-digestive state or stage 
that helps us and our bodies assimilate those nutrients. Okay. Um, so, so that's step one. I mean, again, when you understand the, honestly, the lack of focus that in the modern world we put on our gut, I mean, there's so many things that we ingest that are not only not helping us, but are doing severe damage. Antibiotics, pesticides, things that have preservatives. I mean, what also is very enlightening is not just what I learned when making kombucha, but it's also what I learned when formulating a beverage. Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable that the things that other companies, and not certainly suggesting kombucha companies, but just call it food and beverage companies, they'll add things to their products that seem clean, but have you know weird words like emulsifier or whatever, which are coming from a very processed source. And yeah. they're being used to make sure things don't settle, make sure the color doesn't change, make sure the flavor stays. But what happens is it's still very, very refined and not, in my opinion, it's hurting your gut. Yeah. Um, so that's just something that it, I think that we all need to pay more attention to, um, which is why I think staying on a very strict regimen of fermented foods is definitely essential. Interesting. Okay. Fermented foods. Yes. Pro. Yes. Into them. All right. So now, like I said, more than 30 flavors of kombucha in the portfolio, as well as other foods. Yes. You look back on your career right now. What would you say has been one of the best pieces of advice that's been offered to you? Wow. Um, I mean, I remember early on when I was starting, you know, as I said, I was starting to make and sell kombucha in a world where people didn't understand it and certainly didn't, you know, care for it. Yeah. So the advice that I was given early on is just follow your heart, right? Follow what is meaningful to you and follow um, what excites you. And, you know, fortunately, what I learned excited me more than money and monetary success was the ability to be creative and put my heart and soul into something and to share it with somebody and hopefully see them enjoy it. So that it has been, call it my North Star, is making sure that you put value in the things that are truly meaningful and make sure that that's not money. <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. So that's number one. The other is don't listen to what people think or what people say. You know, my, my dad said early on, and I know this is a cliche statement, but everybody has opinions and most of them stink. That's the PG version of that statement. Um, but it, it, it's true that when you're doing something different, you can't expect people to understand because people don't understand things that are foreign to them. And a lot of times people don't embrace things that are unique and but if you want to be a, a, a trailblazer you have to kind of plug your ears put your head down and do what you're doing and as long as you're following a path of as I said following your heart but more importantly following you know integrity and good intentions like you're genuinely trying to as cheesy as it sounds make the world a better place only good will come your way love that okay you have an opportunity right now looking back on your 15 year old self to offer yourself one piece of advice, looking back on that tough time when your mother is, you know, coming out of breast cancer and maybe around the time your brother passes away, you have an opportunity to offer him one piece of advice. What do you tell him? Offer my brother. Not for you. Offer me. Hang in there. You're going to have some high highs and some really low lows. But as long as you stay true to yourself, you will weather the storm. Love that. And never let anything or anyone take your happiness. Amazing. 
Gigi, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Please take a moment to leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the pod on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. GT, where do they find you? Where do they find all of the all the things? Well, you can find us at a click of a mouse or a press of a button. So our website is gtslivingfoods.com. Um, you can go to our Instagram, which is GT's Kombucha. Uh, you can find our products in virtually every store from grocery store to natural store. To Walmart. To Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the refrigerated section, typically by the juices or the produce. And we have two brands, GT's Kombucha and Synergy, which you'll find everywhere as, as well as some other new products in certain areas. Awesome. I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.